electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza in San Francisco, along with Julia Borston in L.A. And again, we've got editor-in-chief at The Verge, Neelay Patel, here as guest host from the New York Stock Exchange All Hour. We are closing out the week with a look at the tech rally as names like Amazon surge 40% off their lows and Apple comes back within inches of its all-time high. Plus, we've got more on the rest of this morning's big movers. Poshmark, those shares are plunging. Toast is surging. Don't miss Toast CEO Chris Comparito later this hour. And we're going to look at China Tech as well. The whole space seeing pressure this morning. Let's kick off today's feed, though, with the market. Tech running with the bulls this week and the past few weeks. The Nasdaq, though, this week is on pace for its fourth weekly gain in a row since November. And some huge moves higher for mega cap names like Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. Let's bring in Bessemer Venture Partners, Elliot Robinson. Elliot, happy Friday. Good morning to you. Where are we right now? There is a big debate. Is this another bear market rally that is becoming uh, less loud over the last few weeks, especially a week like this. Well, look, let's talk cloud a little bit. Despite a lot of uncertainty in the news, whether it's GDP growth, ongoing geopolitical conflict or inflationary spikes, the cloud economy is showing a ton of resilience as customers continue to leverage software and every CEO is directing their teams to do more with less. You know, this impact are things that we're seeing in these Q2 earnings reports thus far, which is fueling some of the recovery that you guys opened the show with. So the emerging cloud index with Bessemer, roughly 28% up in the last two months alone. And at the same time, the average valuation multiple for in-cloud companies is at 9.3x today, which is up from its June low of 6x. With that said, there's three key pillars I'm tracking in order to assess the current state of the cloud recovery. First, the hyperscalers. You mentioned some of them to open the show. Amazon AWS, $79 billion run rate, growing 33%. Microsoft Azure, $55 billion run rate, growing 46%. And Google GCP clocked in at $25 billion run rate this quarter, growing 30, uh, 36% year over year. So the strong performance of the cloud hyperscalers, it really does serve as a leading indicator when it comes to the underpinnings of the cloud ecosystem and future SaaS performance. Now onto some subsectors. Datadog in the infrastructure space. They beat consensus on top line, generating $406 million of revenue this year, a huge 7% beat, along with a beat on earnings per, per share. And then the company went on to raise its full-year guidance. Quickly again, cybersecurity cloud failure. They beat consensus by uh, about 6%, $234 million of revenue in the quarter on 54% year-over-year growth. Perhaps more importantly, they also raised full-year guidance. So we're talking about shifting into the second half of the year and companies are giving us some guidance. And then lastly, Atlassian and and Monday.com, I talked about CEOs wanting their teams and companies to do more than less. They beat on revenue, earnings per share, year-over-year growth, and both companies raised their guidance. So the the last company that I definitely want to talk about in the vertical SaaS space, because these companies touch real industries and economies that we interact with, Toast. So they blew Q2 out of the quarter in yesterday's earnings call, putting a beat on gross payment volume, gap revenue, annual recurring revenue, and all of these metrics grew about 60%. So what I'm looking for in in conclusion 
I'm looking for companies that are coming out of Q2 with a certain profile, a beat on top line revenue, raising guidance, also a beat on earnings per share and shrinking losses. And we're seeing a lot more of these companies emerge and that's what's fueling the recovery so far. Elliot, you're painting a very, very rosy picture indeed. Um, to me, it feels maybe a little too rosy. I mean, we did just get through the earnings season. It wasn't as bad as many were expecting, but it wasn't great right. either. I mean, guidance from some of these companies was good, but even the hyperscalers, I mean, growth was better than expected, but it's still slowing, and that's ultimately going to hit the tech ecosystem, right? So what what makes yeah. you say that we're already seeing this recovery? There's not another shoe to drop, especially when we head into the next quarter of earnings. For sure. So obviously, I spend most of my time investing in the cloud. And I'm looking five, 10 years out. And when you think about you know where we're coming out of with COVID 2020 and 2021, we just saw a spike in enterprise SaaS that I don't think we'll, we may never see again. So yes, Growth is slowing, but you have to put it in context of the, the period that we're coming out of, which was growth like we've never seen before, really with the spike of work from home. And, uh, you know, we were all forced to engage with things like Zoom to make sure that uh, we could all get the work done. So, yes, year over year or coming out of the COVID adjusted period, growth is slowing. But if you look at a more smooth line over, let's say, the last three or four years, we're really still seeing a, a positive trend up and to the right. Yeah, certainly such a positive trend. Elliot, Neelai, we want to bring you in here. What do you make of Elliot's bullish view here? Do you think he's too bullish? Are there parts of this cloud sector that are maybe perhaps more at risk? Yeah, you know, I, what I think about all the time when it, when it comes to enterprise software transformation is you're just moving margin in one way, right? Some businesses are going to get more efficient by buying software and automating processes. They're going to spend that money on the, that software, and that's the cap, right? How many businesses are going to make that kind of radical move because the CEO is saying, time to tighten our belts, go buy some software that makes the business more effective, and then how effective is that transformation, and where does the, where's the cap? That's the question I have is how you, you can see it over five years, but at some point, it stops because the businesses still need people to use Monday.com, and that is a fixed cost that doesn't really go away. Yeah, Elliot, what do you make of that argument? And I guess the question is, what comes next here? Do you see more consolidation in this space? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll make one quick point off of what was just said. If you look at companies like Monday.com, a big part of their big Q2 was really the fact that their enterprise segment, so companies, you know, 50K ACVs or more, that grew a whopping 147% year over year. So there's still a big demand from the bottoms up, you know, engineers and people that you mentioned that work with the companies, but also top down where they're buying kind of full company-wide licenses. In terms of consolidation, I think we're still in a little bit of a wait and see period. We're coming out of really high, all-time high valuation multiples. The private side of, uh, you know, big cloud companies hasn't necessarily adjusted. And we've always also seen kind of a bit of a tightening of the belt from folks like Microsoft and Salesforce. So I think they're going to sit on the sidelines, see exactly how things shake out through the second half of the year. And then I bet you will see a little bit more consolidation uh, when we know what the new normal looks like. Yeah, and Elliot, speaking of belt tightening, um, the other side of the coin here, and that's big tech is getting smaller, at least when it comes to headcounts. You mentioned uh, Microsoft, but we're also seeing layoffs. Dozens of companies have announced hiring freezes and job cuts, including the likes Meta, Microsoft, Twitter, Snap, Netflix. We put together a quick overview of what's been announced. What goes up?
must come down. Tech's supercharged trajectory of growth, record stock highs, and aggressive hiring during the pandemic now in a downturn. From plummeting tech stock valuations to an accelerating wave of layoffs and hiring freezes across the industry, the belt tightening in tech is sending ripples through the public markets, which are already grappling with recession fears and ongoing global supply chain issues. Here's a quick roundup of just some of the most high-profile tech names caught up in the turbulence over the past few months. Meta has plans to slow hiring of engineers this year by at least 30% as it weeds out poor performers across its teams. Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Snap also reportedly pausing or substantially slowing hiring and cutting back on spending. And Twitter laying off 30% of its talent acquisition team amid its own hiring freeze. In June, Elon Musk's super bad feeling about the economy led to hiring pauses and job losses at Tesla, with a little over 200 employees let go. PayPal cutting dozens of employees in an effort to reduce costs. Salesforce saying it will put recruitment on hold for certain roles, along with Spotify, who says that it's reducing hiring by 25%. 450 staffers were let go at Netflix across May and June, the company citing slower revenue growth. And just last week, Shopify laid off thousands of employees, about 10% of its staff. Investors across industries are watching all of this tech pain very closely, with many characterizing tech's performance as the canary in the coal mine for prolonged broader market mayhem, leading some to wonder if the great resignation is giving way to the great recession. So, guys, I can't help but feel like this is a little bit of deja vu all over again. Neil, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw all of these layoffs. It led to a lot more operational efficiency. These companies had leverage. We're seeing it all over again. But how do we square this with, you know, a NASDAQ that is up 10 percent over the last month and companies the last earnings season, for example, too, where it was better than expected in some cases like Amazon? Good. Yeah, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of companies uh, prepare for what they think might be a downturn and make sure they have the ability to get through it with uh, a high rate of cash flow and enough money in the bank to turn through it. The trend that I'm picking up, if you look across the layoffs, very rarely hitting engineering and product, very often hitting marketing, sales, content marketing, the kinds of things you need to do to grow your customer base. They're still innovating on product. They're still investing there. And the demand side, as Elliot's pointing out, the other companies want to cut their, uh, increase their margins by getting more efficient. So they're just naturally generating sales, which I think is a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, and Elliot, actually, you hear from some companies that are like, no, now is not the time to cut. It's time to go on the offensive if they've done a good job with their free cash flow and profitability. So this is kind of an opportunity, especially for some players with better margins in the cloud space. Yeah, I think that's right. And the other thing is an awesome piece that you guys shared. But I do think that it's worth noting that a lot of those companies have a lot of exposure to consumer tech. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about in the opening of the show, things like you know, inflation are really making folks at home think about that next iPad purchase or that next personal computer. And then on the other side, you know, you've got SaaS companies like Shopify that are going to get hit by e-commerce. They're not selling the goods themselves, but their marketplace values are coming down. And then lastly, folks like uh, you know, Meta or, or Google they, they're really impacted by advertising businesses, which, again, is kind of touching on uh, kind of consumer markets. So I, I do think there's a bit of a bifurcation between uh, those kind of core B2B SaaS players and those uh, more broad tech companies that have a lot of consumer spend exposure. 
Yeah, like we've been talking a lot on the show about the bifurcation between the consumer and enterprise spending. I do have to know, though, there does seem to be a big difference between the companies that are doing layoffs and then the companies that are just slowing hiring. Uh, right. And I have to wonder, and I have to wonder, Neelay, want to get your perspective on this here, um, just sort of what your outlook is on whether things are in a sort of a little bit of a stasis now, but they might pick up in the fall um, because people are just trying to figure out what the state of the consumer and the state of enterprise spending is going to be right now. There's just the uncertainty more than anything, it seems like, is causing the pause. I think that's definitely true. I think a lot of the consumer-focused companies are looking ahead to Q4 and saying, is there going to be spending like there traditionally has been? There was a report yesterday. Um, Apple is placing as many orders for iPhone production this year as they have the year before. Obviously, that stock is coming close to its all-time high. Um, I think there's a big question mark whether all the dollars that still seem to be floating around the economy going towards experiences will come back to some of these software products and these consumer products as the holidays approach. The underlying question for all of that is all these companies kind of overhired remote in the pandemic. They've all basically yeah. said it. We're not as efficient as we used to be. And pulling back on that hiring freeze is, I think, an opportunity for them to decide how many people they actually need to efficiently innovate. Yeah, and where those those people have to be, um, we're seeing a, a return to work in some of these sectors, perhaps more finance than in tech. Elliot, we'll give you the, the last word here. You know, we're talking about a bifurcation between consumer spending and enterprise spending. But at what point do you think those two things will impact each other, that a downturn in consumer spending could really hit big picture enterprise spending? Yeah, for sure. I, I think as, you know, the consumer tech exposure sorts itself out. I would go back to what I said a couple minutes ago. We're just in a little bit of a wait and see moment. There are some good signs that the kind of more B2B SaaS companies are raising guidance towards the end of the year, but no one is, you know, hiring ahead of those numbers coming in. So I think, you know, we're in August now. It'll be probably November, December. Folks will know what the end of the year looks like and planning for next year will be a lot more accurate. And that's yeah. when we're going to start to see CEOs and CFOs tell us, you know, is a hiring freeze off or are we starting to actually go into increasing headcount over time? Yeah, well said. And of course, a lot of the business fundamentals and what Wall Street is thinking rests on the Fed's trajectory and in inflation. The 10 year, by the way, at 286 this morning. Elliot, thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Great to see you. Rivian shares up almost 50% since mid-June. More on the results sending things even higher. That's next. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? 
<clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com, designed for work. Check out shares of Rivian. It has been choppy trade this morning. Currently up more than 1%, better than expected revenue, but huge losses here. And perhaps most importantly for the street, it is all about this future growth story. Uh, Nile Rivian is holding on to its goal of delivering 25,000 vehicles by year's end. But to get there, it's going to burn an extra $700 million, expecting to bring this year's losses to, what, nearly $5.5 billion. This is the Tesla story, though, right? Uh, investors suspend disbelief because of that future growth prospect. Yeah, you know, I, I had the opportunity to drive an R1T and an R1S somewhat irresponsibly. It popped a tire. It was great fun. These are great cars. The underlying architecture of the cars they've designed uh, could be revolutionary, right? There are more computers and cars in many ways. They just have to build more of them. And then you can actually see how they can gain margin. They can do recurring revenue inside the cars. There's all kinds of opportunities if customers actually get them. That's how the bet, you, but it costs a lot of money to start one of these companies. How did you pop a tire, Nile? What were you doing? They allowed me to go off-roading in a $100,000 R1S. It was a great idea for me. I told them it was a mistake, but I popped a tire. <laughs> Sounds like a, a lot of fun. Glad it all turned out okay. And speaking uh, of stocks moving higher this morning, Disney shares up another 2.5% today on top of yesterday's gains. Now that stock is up 13% this week. And despite all the concerns about consumers pulling back and competition in the streaming space, Disney surprising many by hiking prices for its streaming services more than expected. Yesterday, we sat down with CEO Bob Chapek in an exclusive interview here on Tech Check. He told us why he's still confident things will grow. We suspect that uh, we believe that we're going to see growth accelerate for domestic subs uh, for Disney Plus in the next quarter. So we believe that whether it's international growth, domestic growth, with ads, without ads, all across the board, we're going to see growth. So we're pretty bullish. He was also bullish about the parks, talking about pricing power there, too. Eli, you know, it's so fascinating. We're talking about inflation and, and pressures on consumers and layoffs. And then you have Disney so optimistic about the ability to raise prices, not only on streaming, but also potentially at the parks. Yeah, the parks one is really interesting to me because the, the rumbles about the park experience not being quite all the way there anymore are actually pretty loud. So I think there's more danger here uh, than Disney is letting on, right? They've got to keep those people happy, especially as prices go up and up and up. And consumers are spending on all kinds of other experiences, as we've seen uh, from other companies on the board today. The flip side, I think Disney Plus is almost recession-proof right now. Maybe Disney Plus, yes. I'll pay any amount probably for that service. I didn't want to go here, guys, but, you know, I've been having my eye on a Disney trip. Julia, you and I had this uh, debate this morning. I canceled my trip. Exactly what you were talking about, Neil. Rumblings that the experience isn't as good as it used to be. Inflation, those higher costs. I'm arguing that I'm the leading indicator, Julia. You think I'm the exception, though. And the I, results, think, I, mean, I think, D, I think you're a counterindicator. I think you're a counterindicator. <laughs> I think your kids are too young to be, to be bugging you about it. Once they get into the it's equation, true. things change. They don't know what they're missing hey, yet. I did watch, watch Blue Neil. I, I was just yeah. going to say, the first episode's only 11 minutes. Um, I hate to tell you, my... Uh, my four-year-old went back to Gabby's dollhouse, but uh, we've got a oh few more episodes. In See, us. Netflix, there's life in Netflix yet. There is, exactly. That's a Netflix show. <laughs> Meanwhile, guys, uh, Wall Street warning software investors strap in. We're going to talk more about this in the playbook ahead of results from Salesforce, Snowflake, and more. That's next. We're back in three.
Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Let's dive deeper into software with another slate of earnings coming up in the weeks ahead. How should you be positioned? Our next guest calls Microsoft and ServiceNow his top defensive picks, predicting that we've seen the worst of the sector's derating despite a new note from Guggenheim this morning taking the other side, arguing to stay cautious on the space. Joining us now is city analyst Tyler Radke. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Explain to us why Microsoft and ServiceNow. Yeah, good morning. So obviously ServiceNow and Microsoft, they've already reported their second quarter results. They, they came out and, and issued some more caution on, on the guide. I think ServiceNow in particular, they actually saw some deal slippage in the quarter, missed their bookings number and took down numbers for the second half. Uh, so we think they've already incorporated a much more realistic view of the macro environment, particularly with ServiceNow. Uh, as we get into the July quarter companies, whether that's Salesforce or, or Snowflake, um, you know, we do see some risks that some of these issues that impacted Microsoft and ServiceNow could could cause uh, some issues and, and drive a uh, reset to their outlook. And so give us a, a sense of infrastructure security. We're showing some of those stocks right now. Um, where's the opportunity now? And then also on the flip side, where do you see the most risk in this environment? Yeah, so, so one of the areas that's been a, a big topic of uh, conversation among investors is these cloud consumption models. So you have companies like Snowflake, MongoDB, uh, Elastic, where these are not purely subscription revenue models where you're charging based on the number of workers that you have or the number of, of salespeople, but it's based on how much uh, infrastructure are you consuming, how much database capacity, how much uh, analytics queries are you, are you running. And so I think there's a lot of debate in, in how do you value these things relative to these subscription models. Um, you know, our view among those uh, infrastructure consumption models is companies like MongoDB and Elastic that are, are tied more to security, that are tied more to applications that aren't going to see massive fluctuations up and down. Those are those are more defensive places to be. I think you've seen Snowflake over the last couple quarters have some issues, whether it was large customer exposure with some of the work from home beneficiaries. Uh, or just the fact that they are used for more uh, analytics functions that, that can be a, a more of a bull market type of yeah. uh, use case. So th those would be our top picks in kind of the infrastructure and, and cyberspace. Tyler, I love that you bring up this idea of the cloud consumption models. Um, they kind of are untested going into an economic downturn, although I think the street is thinking that this is going to be more of a soft landing. Um, do you think that these kinds of models, though, are more vulnerable to bundling what a Microsoft or a Google or even a Salesforce can do? Where does that leave them? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, if you, if you go back to some of those names I mentioned, Snowflake, MongoDB, Elastic, they actually work very closely with the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts of the world, those uh, cloud infrastructure consumption models are actually running on top of Amazon or, or Microsoft's cloud. Um, obviously, there is a bit of a co-opetition. You know, you do see things like Microsoft and uh, Google and, and Amazon have their own data warehouse offerings, which is 
what competes with Snowflake. But ultimately, I, I still think that uh, for, for the larger players out there, this, this, this is a uh, kind of a co-opetition. It is more of a co-sell arrangement hmm. because ultimately these public cloud vendors are trying to get more uh, workloads, more spending on their platforms. So anyone that can help them do that, um, you know, they're, they're willing to partner with. That feels like a very generous um, take and giving to the big players, especially when you see what Microsoft has done with Teams that's taking on Slack. You really think that this is kind of a friendly cooperation and that the Giants aren't going to see a chance to move in right now? Well, I, I, I think we can uh, differentiate, I think, for, for uh, you know, a company like T Microsoft with Teams and, and especially for a company like Zoom. Um, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit more on the application side. I obviously think there, there are very big potential competitive challenges from, from a company like Microsoft. Um, I, I was kind of more re referring to the infrastructure yeah. side, but, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In this environment, the reason why Microsoft is able to continue to grow double digits in a recession is because they are bundling things like, like Teams and uh, they're, they're able to uh, cross-sell these products uh, that uh, you, you know, other companies are you know, kind of, that's their core business. Tyler, so interesting. Thank you so much for joining us. We see Microsoft shares up about 1% this morning. Eli, I want to bring you in here. What's your response to this? What kind of volatility do you think we'll see in the software space going forward? I think there's two things that I'm keeping an eye on. One, almost all enterprise software, in one way or the other, is sold on efficiency and increased margins, right? You buy our software, your workforce will get more efficient. Maybe you don't even need so many people. That only pays off a little bit. Like, we've all experienced the new enterprise software appearing on our laptops, and we've all experienced that sometimes it's not very good. And yeah. so I think in this kind of spending environment, right, that has to pay off, and I think some of that spend will, will come back because it doesn't always pay off. And on the flip side, you see a big company like Microsoft, their strategy is to roll up every feature set yep. that their competitors might offer, and they're actually giving you more and more value for the dollar. And in this environment, their margins might shrink as they have to add more features mm -hmm. and not raise costs. Right, but they can afford it, right? They're sitting on so much cash in Microsoft. I guess that's the argument versus some of the smaller cloud players. Uh, let's get a news update now and get to Frank Holland. Frank. Hey there, Deirdre. Here's your uh, news update for this hour. Sentiment among U.S. consumers is improving as inflation eases. University of Michigan's mid-August consumer sentiment index came in at a higher-than-expected 55.1 as it continues to improve from the all-time low set back in June. Infl inflation expectations fell to their lowest since February. Another piece of optimism about inflation comes from credit rating agency Fitch. It's issued a new report saying it's seeing supply chain pressures easing and says that could help reduce prices on a wide variety of goods, although there are still disruptions in the mix. Fitch says shipping rates are declining, port congestion is easing, and backlogs are being clear. Automaker Ford says it is cooperating with a government probe of a 2020 recall. Officials are looking into whether that recall to inspect front brake hoses was adequate. Ford had recalled 488,000 Ford Edge and Lincoln MKZ models to deal with brake hose failures, but the NHTSA is opening a recall inquiry into 1.7 million cars after receiving 50 complaints from owners of Ford cars about those same brake hose issues. That's the very latest. Deirdre, back over to you. Frank, thank you. We'll see you on the half soon. Meanwhile, restaurant fintech player Toast seeing some big gains after raising guidance. The stock is now up some 24% on the week. CEO Chris Comparado joins us next. Don't go away.
Let's get to a stock making a huge comeback recently. That would be restaurant software company Toast beating on the top and bottom lines this quarter, raising their full year outlook. Shares are up double digits. They're up 43 percent in the last month alone. With more on that, let's bring in CEO Chris Comparado. Chris, good morning and thanks for being with us. Um, what a quarter. But I wonder if you can give us any data from the last few weeks since that quarter ended regarding consumer sentiment. Has it stayed strong, especially in light of the numbers this morning? Yeah, good morning, Deidre. Thank you for having me on again. Listen, we had, we had a strong quarter, and when you look at what we're seeing for Signal, um, our team executed really well in the field to capture market share. Consumer sentiment is strong. Restaurants are busy. Um, restaurants have been resilient, and we're seeing demand in our customer base. So um, no material signs of weakness in the restaurant space, and that bodes well for, um, for the business. Chris, what are you seeing in terms of uh, dining or take dine in versus takeout and delivery? Yeah, we're seeing dining come back certainly. So dine in has certainly come back during the Q2 and Q3 timeframe, um, but there's still a steady amount of takeout and delivery. Off premise is here to stay, but restaurants are adapting to make sure that they offer and support the dine in volume, but then complement that with off premise when it's necessary. So we're seeing both of those revenue channels really um, hold up quite well. No, Chris, I saw that you added 6,000 net new locations for the first quarter ever. Obviously, you're growing so much, but I'm wondering as you look at the whole market, how many more restaurants do you think are ready to add your software right now? I mean, this is all about the digital transformation play, um, but some companies may not be ready to make that investment or may not have the resources at the moment. Yeah, Julie, great question. So listen, first off, if you look at the bigger picture, the restaurant industry is a $900 billion industry in terms of sales and restaurants are incredibly complex and we're helping them streamline their operations, drive revenue and then drive staff productivity. So we're only 8% of the US total addressable market. So at 68,000 locations, there's, there's another 800,000 locations to go after within the US and we're only 1% of the $55 billion US TAM. So we're in the early innings of a longer transformation that's going to happen across the restaurant industry. So uh, so that gets us really excited about the future if you zoom out. But Chris, I have to return to Deirdre's questions about the sort of overall economic uncertainty right now. Are you concerned about a consumer pullback later in the year? And how do you think that could impact the ability for some of these restaurants that are not using your software yet to, to come over? Actually, we think that our platform plays into their ability to adapt. So certainly, listen, at the macro level, if you look at macroeconomic conditions, like any CEO, I'm watching all of the signals that we can watch. We've not seen any material headwinds yet, but our platform is really helping these restaurants adapt. We're helping them drive more revenue. We're helping their staff deal with productivity with less labor. And then we're also helping them on the food front when it comes to inflation, understanding their food costs and how to really maximize their menu profitability over time. So we feel like we're on the good side of helping restaurants adapt to the um, to the recession warnings that they're seeing in the market. I'm curious about the, the, the restaurant market overall. It's pretty bifurcated, right? You've got some huge chains to work with. They might have CIOs that are buying your software, a leading in digital transformation. Then you've got a lot of small businesses for whom this is mission critical software. I'm noticing you offer 24-7 support. Are you thinking that you're just going to have to keep scaling that support organization? Is that something you're factoring into margin over time to, to buffer out your losses? 
Yeah, good morning, Leigh. Good to see you. So when, when you look at the business, you know, any business like Toast that's a SaaS platform really has to drive um, people efficiency, process efficiency, self-service and automation over time. So as you've seen this year, we continue to create more and more leverage in the business and we're on that path to profitability, but certainly automation and self-service comes front and center. So I mentioned that yesterday on the earnings, Toast Shop allows the ability for, for customers to go online and order more hardware, order more software. Um, when you look at customers who are onboarding on our platform, many of our customers want to onboard themselves. So roughly one third of our customers are onboarding themselves onto the platform and that's becoming more and more efficient. So over time, you're going to see us drive more and more efficiency across people, process and technology so that the business gains even more leverage. Chris, when it comes to profitability, can't help but notice that the take rate continues to decline. Do you expect that to stabilize? How does that fit into your longer term profitability outlook? Yeah, we feel like the take rate's in a pretty good spot and has stabilized. I, I think credit versus debit had a little bit of an impact on take rate in Q2, but we think take rate has stabilized and we think there's opportunities there to drive even better improvements on margins over time with multiple processors and other partners where we can reduce the cost of operating that, that platform. So I think we're in a good spot on take rate and you'll see us increase that over time. Chris, I know you were asked on the call last night about that longer term profitability outlook and putting an actual target on it. You didn't do so, but I'm curious, I'm gonna ask you again, can you tell us when you're gonna get to profitability or why the hesitancy to put you know, a date on it, or even a rough one? Yeah, so Deidre, great, great question. Listen, rest assured, Toast has a plan and the leadership team is laser focused on executing that plan for profitability. We just don't think it's smart or prudent or pragmatic to stick a needle out there and say it's gonna happen in this time frame when there's so much macro uncertainty and we wanna see how things unfold through the course of the, the year. But, um, but rest assured, we're executing to a plan and, um, and at the right time, we'll go ahead and communicate more details on that. Okay, well, make sure you let us know, Chris. Uh, some other firms are doing that though, given the macro environment, uh, like an Uber and Lyft. Chris, thanks so much. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Some key names leading the Nasdaq higher this morning. Workday leading the group up almost 6% despite a new sell call from Guggenheim, along with chip names like Applied Materials, Marvell, and AMD. We'll have more on today's biggest movers after the break. We're back in two. Let's get a gut check on yet another online retailer falling this morning. Poshmark slumping double digits after issuing weaker than expected guidance. Those sales did come in better than expected for the quarter. Today's fall, though, down nearly 12 percent, just adding to huge losses already in the year. Poshmark is actually the outperformer, though, only down 35 percent versus the Real Real and Stitch Fix, who are down 60 percent or more looking like it's sales season, at least for investors. Neelai, what do you think here? Is, is this a sector that's going to come back in the fall as consumers maybe look for better deals when they're shopping? Want to be part of the, the retail ecosystem, the, the resale ecosystem? Yeah, you know, I was just talking to uh, Rent the Runway CEO Jen Hyman on the Decoder podcast, and she said, I actually think fashion is recession-proof, especially because so many weddings were delayed and people are going to weddings and they need clothes for them. It seems like maybe that's not as true as she had hoped, but it's something to keep an eye on as, as we talk continuously about experiences versus 
goods, experiences tend to require outfits. Yeah, and you know, we've had this whole um, subscription model come to retail as well, and you see that those are the companies, in a lot of cases, the ones that are suffering most and not recession-proof despite that model, Julia. Um, so I guess Jennifer Hyman would say that, um, but the results say otherwise. Yeah, but we've seen Rent the Runway break through, break you know, from having just one or two set subscriptions, giving consumers more options. And it's interesting if you look at Poshmark and the real real, consumers can buy higher end goods at lower prices. They're willing to get something that's been worn before. So maybe some optionality there. Meanwhile, investors haven't made a lot of money with metaverse plays. Creators, though, sure have. More on Web3's booming creator economy next. We're back in two. While shares of metaverse companies have slumped this year, creators aren't cashing in, and lots of them. Steve Kovac joins us with a deep dive on the newest leg of the creator economy. Take a listen. Samuel Jordan may seem like your typical 23-year-old. His morning starts with coffee. He checks his phone. But pretty soon, he gets to running his million-dollar metaverse fashion business. In 2019, I made $30,000 creating items on Roblox, and I thought, wow, this could be a serious career. And then in 2020, I made $600,000 designing digital items on Roblox. And then in 2021, I made over a million dollars designing items on Roblox. The Roblox world is growing faster than ever before. Roblox is Jordan's virtual world of choice. It's an open-world gaming platform that claims more than 54 million daily users. Jordan's been in it since he was 11. At that age, did you ever think, wow, this is going to be my career a decade from now? Not at all. Today, it's his full-time job. He's sold more than 25 million digital clothing items and accessories, hats, earrings, wallet chains, that players buy through a virtual currency called Robux and creators can turn back into real dollars. So talk about these digital goods you make. How much is one T-shirt, for example, sell for typically? And then how does that translate to money in your bank account? So when I sell digital items, they're typically between 50 and maybe 150 Robux, which translates to about 50 cents to $1.50 for players to buy. He's now designing digital items for big names in fashion, like Carly Kloss and Burberry. Jordan says people take their virtual image as seriously as they take their real one. When you see someone in the digital space, you see what they wear. That's, that's how you get to know them. And you definitely, you'll pay to express yourself in a way that feels authentic to you. The company says 5,500 developers made real cash through Roblox last year. Those third-party creators keep about 28 cents on the dollar. Roblox takes a cut of all sales, and money also goes to app stores. Jordan is one of the biggest earners and recently bought his first home with his metaverse earnings, complete with a pool in the back and a Tesla out front. Did you ever think you'd be able to buy something like this just by playing video games? Never. Jordan isn't the only creator making it big. In Colorado, the Clemens family runs Simple Games, a Roblox studio. Their model is also based on scaling up to a massive audience. 21-year-old CEO Nathan employs seven contractors around the world. But closer to home, in fact, in their home, he also has his siblings and parents working for the company. We've always done a lot of different projects, and this actual one has been able to show us such talent in our own kids. It's been amazing to see how they've uh, grown and developed and what they're creating. It's not just Roblox. Other platforms like The Sandbox and Decentraland are also providing ways for creators to make money within their worlds. And Meta is pursuing developers, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, or at least his avatar, recently announcing this about his company's Horizon Worlds. 
you know, people who are, are building awesome worlds where we're basically just setting up um, some funds to, to help just basically compensate and, and, um, and reward the people who are just doing awesome work here in Horizon. Samuel Jordan says, for now, Roblox is the only metaverse platform that has the millions of users creators need to make money. Roblox, you know, they started in 2006, and everyone trying to do it now, they're, they're over a decade behind. Meta's behind? Meta is definitely behind in 3D virtual worlds. There is no true competitor. With forecasts that trillions of dollars could be spent inside the metaverse by the end of the decade, it's no wonder companies and developers are in a race to stake their claims. Now, guys, it was that last bit that Sam Jordan was telling me about how Meta just isn't a good platform for him and other creators to make money. The Clements family told me the same thing. I asked them, why not Meta? Well, they just don't have the users to, that, that are paying money in these virtual worlds for them to actually build a career on. Whereas uh, Roblox, they have 50 million people every month playing the game and they're spending real money, guys. So, okay, Steve, I'm going to ask a skeptical, big-picture, economic uncertainty question Because John's here. not here, right? So we got to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm playing the role of John <laughs> on the other hand here. So, on the other hand, I'm curious whether there's concern that inflation and all the, the pressure on consumer spending, it's going to get people to spend less in virtual worlds. Won't they be more interested in just paying for gas, which is so expensive, and less interested in buying virtual outfits? Yeah, exactly, Julia. And that's kind of what we heard from the video game companies reporting earnings over the last couple of weeks. They see a slowdown in spending and they also deal with these foreign exchange headwinds. You got to keep in mind games, especially Roblox, is really popular in Europe where there's a really strong dollar. So it's harder for them to make profits on that. And on top of that, there's the cuts, right? So Roblox takes a cut of every transaction. Then they have to pay a cut in turn to the app stores from Google and Apple. Right. Um, actually, it's similar to my question. I was wondering if there's inflation in Robux, Nile. Does stuff actually get more expensive in the metaverse? Yeah, I think that's a great question for all these uh, parallel economies that are controlled by one company. Uh, unlike the Fed, they can just do whatever they want, whenever they want. That thing that Steve is mentioning, though, about Apple and Google, if you remember during the Apple Epic trial, there was a lot of conversation about Roblox, whether it was a game, whether it was a virtual experience. Both Apple and Roblox changed the category in the App Store to avoid some of these questions about in-app fees. That's Facebook's real problem. They yeah. can't get on Apple's platform with the Metaverse app. They've got to get you into their headset. And that's a long road to climb, I think. Yeah, I mean, isn't that so interesting here is that we're talking about the metaverse. We're just right now in, in Roblox and the, in the Sandbox and some of these other platforms. This is still 2D worlds. I guess the question is, uh, and I'm going to ask Steve this, is whether you think that they're going to be able to get people to start buying things in the virtual world of the, the Oculus headset and all these other headsets um, and just start con converting people over to those platforms where they're going to be a whole other set of things to buy. Yeah, the thing is, it's just such a, a, a lot of friction here, Julia, to get people, first of all, to convince them to buy a headset that they just increased the price on by 100 bucks. So, and another more expensive one that's going to come out this fall. So, one, they have to convince people to buy it. Two, they have to convince people to spend money in it. And, and three, they have to convince the creators to start making stuff. And they just have not hit that inflection point that Roblox already has, where they have the audience, they have the people spending money, and they have creators in there seeking that opportunity either to make uh, games that people can play in these virtual worlds or sell those items. That's, that's what that family I spoke with, the, the Clemens family. They saw an opportunity here. They're not gamers or coders. The yeah. son, Nathan, Nathaniel, he was like, 
this is a huge opportunity for us to start a business and make money. You just can't do that in Horizon Worlds yet. I think my question here is equally philosophical. Is Roblox actually a metaverse? I mean, we're calling it a metaverse. It's not interoperable. You can't buy the clothes from the famous designer or the, the celebrity in Roblox and go wear them in the new Madden that's going to come out in a couple weeks, right? The promise of the metaverse is that you will have like mm -hmm. a fully realized virtual self that can go to all these different places. Roblox is kind of just a video game, right? That, that's exactly right, Neil. I was talking to some people, uh, some analysts about this, and you know, the true quote-unquote metaverse is going to be interoperable. It's going to be like a 3D version of the web today, more open, and, and it, you can interchange items in between things. I was speaking with someone else reporting on this story, and they're like, there's just such an opportunity here because fashion is so big. Samuel Jordan was telling me about how people love to dress up their avatars. It might seem silly if you're not used to this, but fashion really is a big thing, and so that's where the opportunity to make money is. Yeah, I think there, there's that opportunity, but Wall Street has cooled a little. We know what's happened with uh, the metaverse, the gaming stocks this year. It's also the gaming part of this picture, right? We've just got a bunch of results from companies in the space, and we are seeing that slowdown. Steve, great package. Thank you for bringing that to us. Like, those numbers are pretty shocking, a million dollars in one year. And a 23-year-old to boot. clothing. Yeah. Anyways, uh, if you want to catch up, if you missed that, if you want to catch up on Tech Check this weekend, or you want to hear it again, follow, subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download them. We're back after one last quick break. One more thing before we go, that is some due diligence on delistings. Five Chinese state-owned companies announcing they will voluntarily step off of Wall Street as a feud over U.S. financial disclosure requirements escalates between Beijing and Washington, more than 250 Chinese companies risk getting banned now, including widely held names like Alibaba, JD.com, if the U.S. is not allowed oversight into their books for three consecutive years. The ones we're talking about today, though, guys, are not the big Chinese tech names we know. They're the state-owned corporations. Some of the biggest there, though, like China Life and PetroChina. I've heard it 100 times over the last year or so. Set up myself, Chinese stocks place to trade, not necessarily invest these days. Yeah, it seems absolutely right. The one that I'm always looking at is ByteDance. Uh, I'm dying to know if the United States can get any insight into how TikTok is doing here, because no one knows. Yeah, we've been watching ByteDance so closely, Delay. And of course, now if you look at Didi today, that stock down about 3% and Alibaba down over 1% as well, D. Meanwhile, guys, NASDAQ and S&P on track for gains of more than 2% this week would make it the fourth weekly gain in a row, the first since November. Have a great weekend, everyone. Let's get to the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.